This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and Australia has never as a country come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European colonisation. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 119 for 22nd of February 2020. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to Australian politics, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest is Andrew Law from the Buna Vista podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Thanks very much for having me. It is lovely to have you on board. Been, uh, look, can we consider you a sister podcast or a brother podcast? I don't know. You have family. Your listeners are wives of the show and... and yes. uh, other affectionately connected people of the show, so I don't know. We uh, we could be a cousin or a, yes. <laughs> or a, um, a, a you know a, a friendly neighbour. Yes, yes. And, well, look, any of these things are fine as long as it's a friendly neighbour of the show, uh, sister of the show, second cousin, twice removed of the show. All of these things are fine with me. I feel like we're closer than that. That's I true. Know. That's true. <laughs> I mean, we never spoken before today, but well, okay, that could be second cousin. cousin. Anyway, <laughs> I, I feel like. Vague discussions about how people could be related is definitely why people come to Australian political podcasts. So um, I'm glad that we started that way of all. So Andrew, this is this is kind of a weird week to bring together, and I have absolutely totally failed to do it in any way that is, is coherent. How do you tie together a week that has Holden pissing off, the Labor Party thinking that a, a zero emissions by 2050 target is actually is actually something that we should applaud? It's actually progress. It's actually you know yeah we've dropped it by 20 years. We're going to save the planet. <laughs> We're going to save some of the planet. <laughs> well, whatever bits of the planet are still around at that point. Sorry. We always fall on this trap, don't we? Like, the planet will be fine. I mean, people living on the planet, not so. Yes, But the exactly. planet itself. Like, exactly. I don't think that... We're not going to literally obliterate the planet by, by you know, setting off runaway climate change. The planet will still be here. It's indifferent. Maybe the Labour plan is, um, you know, climate change mitigation, but in the sense of, like, mitigating the amount of damage we do to the planet on the way out the door, you know? So- I think it's climate change damage mitigation in the sense of how much damage we think it's going to do politically to our prospects in Western Sydney. Yes, yes, mitigating uh, how many seats we lose in Queensland in the next election, yeah. Because in the same way he's confirmed his support for Adani, he's like, he's like, I like it's. They've very much got the policy platform of how can we piss off everyone at the same time yes. and s- making and therefore profit. Uh, yeah, making nobody happy one hundred percent of the time. That is the current Labor Party <laughs> policy. So yeah, in a, I think in a week with um with that happening, with with pretty much everything that's happening, unfortunately, I think we could call this a nice maintenance of the status quo as far as Australian politics is at this point in time. They've kind of touched on everything. So the whole liberal pitch is that we're, we're the party that keeps jobs here. And then it was nice to have that Holden reminder through Holden saying, no, no, that's stuff that we, you know, we shut down manufacturing and now we, we're off. As you, mm-hmm. uh, It's nice of them to remind voters that, oh, yeah, that's right, the liberals in fact dared 
Holden to piss off. Mm. They specifically did them, and they called their bluff and did piss off. At the same time as they're busy saying, hey, we need a Dani for the jobs. So it's probably, it should be unhelpful if we had functioning media that it would actually remind people of the connections between these things. To remind people that, you know how the Libs claim to be concerned about blue collar jobs? It's only in industries that they like, which are specifically the ones that give them lots of money and lefties hate. Like it's specific, it does feel like an awful lot of their approach to the world is, which of these industries, like it's not like lefties usually like car manufacturers either, but it's just like, which of these industries, if we gave them lots of public money, would make that lefty who I, who I hated at uni the most angry? Yes, yes. Coal, coal, that would do it. So it's not about the jobs because we've just seen, like they just, yeah. thank you for reminding us that they told the manufacturing base to piss off. It's just, you know, the one that's about to be automated out the wazoo anyway. That's, that's the one that we're going to claim that we care about jobs until it's built and then the jobs will disappear anyway. Yeah, and I, I think it's another prime example of an area where, you know, they've they've left this kind of yawning chasm, which is just a vacuum of leadership, which Labor really have all the opportunity in the world to step into and say, actually, we can see from everything that is happening around the world that coal is just, it's just going to stop being a thing. Like um, just because India's decided to stop importing coal, that yep. doesn't mean. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, yeah. well, again, a huge, a huge part of the argument has been, hey, even if you filthy lefties don't want to burn coal, there's all these countries that are going to do it anyway, and shouldn't we be getting in on that? You know, shouldn't we be getting a little, little taste of the action? And mm. then you have India saying this week, oh, by the way, we're going to completely stop importing thermal coal by what 2023, 2024, something mm. like that, uh, very soon like very very soon in terms of an industrial timeline and can they make a dani in time to even flog off a tiny bit to india like it's gonna be too late and uh, so again the you know one of those real right-wing talking points is like hey we're we're bringing civilization to the unwashed masses of the subcontinent (laughs) by giving them coal so that they can stay warm in their shanties or whatever um this whole thing of like you know hey we're we're really doing something for the third world but oh, the, the bad faith argument of it's it's us who care about the poor. Yes. Yeah, it's only only the way that you just want them to, to live in, you know, without electricity. Because you know, we're going to pretend that lefties aren't proposing different ways of generating electricity. We're just going to say you're against it in general. But it's the same bad faith thing they do about refugees. It's like, oh, you want them to drown. Yes. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. That is not what lefties are proposing at all. You are hoping they drown to further your political argument. We're saving their lives. We care about them with this new justification that we came up with long after we decided to try and yes. send them to offshore camps. That, it was to save their lives. That's, that's, that was, that's where we, we're, the, we're the compassionate ones. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. Well, there's, there's nothing that demonstrates your compassion by like putting your foot on the bow of a boat and just kind of pushing it back in the other direction when it's full of refugees, you know? We're worried about them drowning, yeah, and that's yeah. why we shove these, we, what we say are unseaworthy vessels, back out to sea. Yeah, pu- so they can- <laughs> pushing them back out and calling, this, this is for you. This, <laughs> this hurts me more than it hurts you, you know? We were worried about you drowning, and that's why just as you were about to arrive in Australia, we shoved you back to sea. But yeah, as far as like um, Adani goes, and coal-fired power plants and everything, like you say, the entire argument the whole time is- about jobs this is all about jobs except that surely you should be able to make a viable case for yes there there are you know there is a whole industry here of jobs that revolve around this but a huge part of that is exporting it to other countries and here we can see not just not just like 
signs. We're not reading tea leaves. We have other countries explicitly saying, as of this hard date that is like less than a handful of years away, we will just not be importing that from you anymore. That industry, gone, you know, overnight. And the, the liberals are so invested in it, so tied in with it, that their entire thinking seems to just be, nope, we're just going to pretend like that's not happening and insist that we can somehow, like, you know, will the coal industry into continuing to exist forever. We'll open more plants, you know, mm. we'll approve it, don't we? We'll do all this stuff. And, and there's just, yeah, this, this huge gulf there, this big vacuum of leadership where you would think that a theoretically progressive party, because I think we can all agree that Labour is uh, progressive in the sense that, that like a small portion of the party likes to present itself to the public and its constituents. They're progressive in the, in the sole sense that in the fight between Labour and capital, sometimes they're on the side of Labour. Yes, uh, an, a, an increasingly small percentage of the time, you know. But you know, it's it's still more than the Libs. So yes, you know, yes, 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 uh, and I agree. Oh, except, no, although is it because you know, in the case of Adani, the Libs are really on the mind on the side of the coal miners up until the point that Adani's built, and then Adani automates everything, and those workers lose their jobs anyway. When the Liberals will quickly be against the you know on the other side against the workers, but yeah, yeah right and, now when they can claim that that's why they're doing it. Well, I mean, even that is a is a, another example of that has been conclusively debunked. Um, the person from Adani who admitted in whatever it was, a Senate inquiry or something, who admitted, yeah. yeah, when we're talking about all these jobs, what we mean is building the thing. And, mm. that, and that will be, you know, a couple of hundred jobs for not that many people. Uh, and then it'll pretty much be automated and there will be a handful of people on site maintaining the place and that will be it. So, right. But it's not as like there are jobs in like tourism in Queensland that will be completely screwed by you know us not doing anything about climate change. And it's not like the alternative renewable technologies would be things that would... Like you can't automate the innovation aspect, the part where you're developing a new technology and the jobs that are... The engineering jobs, the mm. design jobs, like the actual... The, the actual quality jobs that you get from a new manufacturing industry, a new product, developing that, exporting it, like... I mean, surely that can't can't in any way employ as many people as the you know, couple of hundred uh, for a coal mine when they're building it. No, but even even if you're say the person who wants to work for work for like a construction company that is building a dani before it goes on to be completely automated, mm. um, if you were to invest in developing new technologies and those technologies then required new plants of some kind to be built or you know, whatever it might be, if you if you develop like a, a parallel sustainable industry and a bunch of things need to be built in order to maintain that, you know, at least there is something there for a new industry, not an industry that is just in the process of sunsetting, in the process yeah. of just no longer being a thing. And I think that that's the most unfortunate thing about the, the Liberal Party's approach to it is like the the most dishonest thing about it is this idea that you can just tell people well if you don't want to lose your job in this industry we will keep that industry going until the end of time yeah. and that's that's effectively the promise the promise is basically we will never stop exporting coal and they have no well <laughs> i mean if they had their way they wouldn't but um the promise is more 
the promise that they're making to the workers is more, we will always have your back on these jobs and we will protect you against the people who might come to take your jobs away like that filthy Adam Bant. And don't let him come and talk to you anymore. He keeps talking to you. He's going out there through the cold communities and it's filthy and, you, and people, he persuades people. Don't let him. Anyway. Oh, look, I, I, w- I will say I have my own criticisms of like how the Greens, um, you know, handled their own communications about that sort of stuff before the election. I, I, I assu- oh, the, the, the convoy thing. Yeah, yeah. I assume that most reasonable people could look at that and say, not a great look, guys. This is kind of exactly what I think most like you know, blue collar people dislike about even the very concept of the Greens. This idea of, you know, if we're going to put the big scare quotes about everything, inner city elites and academics and stuff coming to your town and wagging their finger at you and telling you to stop doing something while not really caring about what happens to you after that. And and I don't... Except that's not really their approach. That's not... I mean, it's certainly how the Courier-Mail would have misrepresented Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the, 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 way, the way that it was... The, the way that it was presented, the way it came across in the media, and obviously the media has a... has, hate, has a distinct greens. Has a distinct <laughs> role in how they present these things. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that it was just a bunch of people traveling there to say, stop doing this. And uh, I'm sure that they would have had a great amount of difficulty in getting people in those towns to listen to their ideas about what happens after that point. Um, yeah. but which, they, which is what uh, Banton was saying is his thing. He wants to go to the communities and talk. And he does. He goes and talks to the to explain what they're planning on doing and, and how they're planning us. Because the Greens policy isn't to just chuck the workers out bad luck. It's no, to- no, 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 no. I don't, I don't think that's the Greens policy at all. Um, I think that, that that specific pre-election activity as led by Bob Brown, um, mm. just it just really kind of... I think it was very, very easy for the media to portray that as, oh, here come the lefties from the city wagging their finger at you and telling you you're doing yeah. the wrong thing. And, but I do think that the Greens are so, so, so much uh, further along and, and, you know, more, more comprehensive in demonstrating their understanding that there need to be jobs for these people after this point. Yeah. Um, then like Labour wants to have it both ways. They want to say, hey, we're going to protect all these jobs by opening uh, Adani. And also we're going to have no you know, zero emissions by 2050, as though these things are remotely compatible in any way. Well, there's so many aspects there. So, like, it feel, okay, so let me try and... I'm going to start this and then I'm just going to have to stop. I'm going to, you're going to have to cut me off because mm-hmm. there's going to be too many things. But, but look, the, so step one is the issue about why, why Adani... Because there is a way of looking at Adani... And, and certainly this summer gave us more reason why. Like, you were in Canberra, you could barely... You, you felt sick when you walked out, ran, ran, when you jogged outside. Like, oh, yeah, the idea that, wonderful stuff. That you couldn't... That the capital, you couldn't breathe in the capital of the city, of yeah. the country. Like, that that feels like... The, Adani is an existential thing. It should have reminded us that, right, uh, all the bullshit about, oh, we're a small country, we can't do anything. No, Australia has diplomatic power. We use it currently to sabotage climate action. We should be out there as a priority. And whenever they're like... You know, you, you, you disingenuous Caleb Bond idiots or whatever pop out and they're like, well, what about China? You know, China's got huge... Imi- I can't believe I did a, like, a deeper voice for Caleb Bond. That's <laughs> anyway, um, I, did, I did scratch my, my beard because he, he, he has one of those now. It's true. He's a, big, he's a big boy. Anyway. Oh, that was, that was ageist. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, but it, 
whenever they do the, oh, what about China so much more than we are, India so much more than we are, America so much more than we are, cool. That's a problem. Mm. You have, in fact, accurately identified a problem. What are we going to do about it? Because if we sit back and do SFA, we're all screwed and we just saw, now that's at one degree. This isn't a thing we can just mitigate against. We can't do the scummo thing of adapting because he can't even adapt to it at one degree. And this isn't, we haven't hit a plateau. It keeps getting worse. It's going to keep getting worse. So, yeah, you're right. Emissions from China and India, the bigger countries, certainly are a problem. And we need to be up there on international fora push it doing you know taking every diplomatic little every, every bit of power we have every bilateral deal we have every bit of, of influence we have we should be pushing for stronger cuts from the other countries because paris isn't enough. Have, have you considered though what if we tried doing the other thing which is taking any political capital that we may have had on this front and instead throwing that all down the toilet and saying well we are committed to also emitting a lot that is a very good approach <laughs> if you want to completely fuck our living standards going forward. And and certainly that... But I'm just saying there is an alternative approach that we could take. Well, there's... And, and, and in relation to our own emissions, part of doing that would be that, yes, of course we'd have to reduce our own emissions, not because we're doing more than the rest of the world, but because the rest of the world would look at us and go, sorry, why should we in China cut our emissions when you emit three times more per person than we do? Well, there's also... You need to do yours first. There's also the, the other issues about... Um about the fact that, like, China is massively investing in renewable energy, which... Ah, but they're also building new coal plants, according to the idiots in the Murdoch press. Yes, that may be the case, but (laughs) they are also, like, massively investing in renewable energy. And, like, as as a... I, I would have thought that as a still continually growing superpower, it is in their interest to say, if we can produce something, you know, that gives us energy and costs us less to run and all these sorts of things, ideally stops, you know, poisoning all of the people in our major cities, all that kind of stuff. If we can do these sorts <laughs> of things. You're going to be able to breathe in, in Beijing. What? Yeah, yeah, that is a net positive to us. But, uh, you know, again, it's also completely ignoring um, the actual details of some of those climate accords, which are, you know, around we the idea that... Kiss? Well, well, the... Like there are there are aspects to that and to things like you know the the Green New Deal in the states and stuff like that where where part of it is about acknowledging the fact that you know countries like ours we have had our industrial revolutions and we have had our you know decades or centuries of burning coal and smelting steel and everything in order to power our countries forward yeah. and it's kind of difficult at this point to turn around to developing nations that are having their own moments now of massive growth. Uh, an advancement and saying, actually, you don't get to, you you got to stop. I know I did, but that's that's but the right wing argument as to why we need to keep doing it. They're like, oh, you lefties are being uh, very uh, imperialist and colonialist, telling other countries that haven't yet had the advantages of being able to burn coal that they shouldn't. Yeah, whereas they tell us off for wanting to do it. But the problem is, we kind of do need them to. We need to be helping them. Yes, that's the point. We the, the helping, helping them, them part, forward. The helping but, them, part. but without the burning coal piece. There, there needs to be the part of like. You know, investing in those countries, converting to renewable energy, in helping yeah. them get over that hump without having to burn coal and everything like that. And that requires investment from the countries that used all of that technology and all of that pollution to make themselves the richest countries on the planet. Yeah, it's not like it's not like the stuff that we did earlier isn't impacting on those countries. Yeah. Like it's a it's a classic what well, the, the tragedy of commons thing. Like we have already Well, it's it's isn't that thing too. Like we've had a lot this week about um, the, the Tories are yelling out at Labor, well, how are you going to pay? What's the cost going to be? What's the cost? And the media are like being like, mm, that's a very good question. What is the, what is the cost going to be? And nobody's turning around and being like, 
Okay, well, can we please... Yeah, first of all, uh, let, let's see your numbers on the cost of inaction, even if it just left. Yeah. We were just at one degree of warning. Let alone, now, now let's see what, what the cost is for two degrees, three degrees. Have you, have you done... You know, some kind of risk analysis. I'm, I'm a lot of the companies that are a lot of the coal companies have done this. They've done their own numbers on what's coming. Um, what are your What are your numbers? Uh, well, I mean, this and, this and summer do that. this summer has been a fantastic illustration of what the cost to you know the in, um, what the cost to the tourism industry is, and what the cost to the insurance industry is, and what the cost to like the the health insurance industry is. All of these things. All these people who've taken massive multi-billion dollar impacts from, you know, flooding and from bushfires and from like entire evacuations of, you know, all of the tourist spots in the South Coast, uh, all because of these unprecedented bushfires. Although, again, according to any uh, right-wing folks, hey, we've always had fires, so... Oh, no, 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 it's more than that. Have you heard this uh, rant from uh, Senator Freeverat? Fairavanti Wells? Is that yes, her? have you heard her rant about audio arsonists this week in the Senate? I I have not. I saw a tiny thing about it, but I have not heard the specific rant. It, it was so hilarious that my, my uh, voice just sort of popped like the, the um, prepubescent <laughs> drive-through guy in the Simpsons. Those alleged arsonists already arrested need to be thoroughly investigated by law enforcement. Who are they? What was their motive and intent? Are they lone actors or part of a sinister collective conducting eco-terrorism? Was there a level of coordination? Were any organisations with a history of law-breaking involved in order to further their respective narratives? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Very sinister stuff. Very frightening. I'm very concerned about that traditionally very well-coordinated activity. Arson. I'm concerned about the coordinated activity being that person being a senator talking in the Senate. Like, she has power. She has, like, wow, eco-terrorism. Like, that is is your, like, off to the QAnon level of bonkers, isn't it? That's the... I I think so. I mean, the the idea that... um... It, it was it was obviously very, very, very appealing for a whole range of people. As soon as the, hey, some bushfires have been deliberately lit by arsonists. Um, but they've which, no evidence about any of the current ones. Like, this was all, like, historically. Oh, just ever. Just ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, just, just learning that fact has set off a bunch of synapses in a lot of brains of just, oh, my God, maybe none of the bushfires were started by anything else. Maybe there's like maybe it's Extinction Rebellion going around and throwing lit sparklers into the dry grass as a way. No, like I I do really there's something very uh very strange to me about anybody who can twist the little like pretzel knot of logic in their brain to say, ah, it's these people who are concerned about climate change uh, destroying, you know, uh, bush and rainforests and and all of our natural habitat and everything. It's the people who are most concerned and invested in that who have chosen to burn millions of hectares of it in uh, order to to trick you 
into thinking that it's about something unrelated and force you to preserve the things they're burning, maybe? No, 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 no. They're bad faith. They're liars. They're in it for the power and the money because the power <laughs> and the money is in, in the side that is gets some public funding occasionally, not from the one that's got all the money from the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. No, they, they their belief will be that these are bad faith actors and that, that none of these lefties really believe it. They're just virtue signaling. You know, I get a, I get fifty dollars from George Soros for every hectare burned. <laughs> like it's gosh, it's classic. It's uh yeah, like uh, again, the idea that there is some sort of like I saw a I saw a, a journalist from News Limited post uh, this thing saying he was commenting on the piece of news about how many animals are estimated to have died. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they were sort of doing their initial estimates and then the bushfires kept going and they got worse and worse until eventually they were saying um, an estimated billion animals have been killed. Yeah. You know, lizards and kangaroos and koalas and all these things. And this guy's commenting on that thing and he's like, wow, it's really terrible that a billion animals have died. Except have they? If you look into it, you will find... <laughs> That this isn't even a real number. They haven't actually counted <laughs> all the animals. <laughs> they haven't right. actually counted to to one billion animals. Let me blow your mind. But the the, the the conspiracy here is like, did you know that they don't even know how many animals are out there? They've never done an accurate count. <laughs> They've never got out there and like literally stood there in the bush counting all the animals. <laughs> Where's the census of the animals? Yeah, have you ever tried to walk up to a kangaroo and tap that one on the head to indicate that you've counted it? They just move away. It's they don't know. Hard. They don't know how many animals have died. Maybe, maybe it's only five. But he then he then continued on from this point. So he's already demonstrated just a, a stunning uh, level of understanding of like just just anything until the government <laughs> goes out there and counts the corpses. And does a full How? like autopsy on each of them to make sure it was from the bushfire. He's he's going, you know, the next thing's going to be like, you know, I saw a survey that said sixty percent of people were in favour of this thing, but it turned out when I did some digging that they hadn't actually spoken to every person <laughs> in the country. Right. Um. So so he he went on from this right, and he said, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying like, you know, just consider. I'm just asking questions. Ben- he was like just asking questions. Who benefits from this? Maybe some of the um, maybe some of the organisations that get all this uh, funding from the government for for animal preservation and stuff. And it's like, what are you saying right now? What are you even trying to say? He's managed to go from I don't understand how like estimates of animal population in a, in a in a in a space go. I don't understand how that works at all. I was under the impression they were manually counting all of the animals. <laughs> um, so on on discovering that, of course, they've used like uh, population density uh, statistics of animals and stuff to say, well, across this area that we understood roughly this many animals to understand, and on the basis of that, for this many million hectares burnt, it's reasonable to say that potentially a billion animals have died. He said... So the fact that they're making that up means that maybe they're making it up so that somebody can profit off it. And of course, who would profit off of that? Conservation. Big animal conservation services. Big, yeah, big, big animal. You know, that lobby. The one that just doesn't want all the animals to die. And it, it makes and you it think, just, Andrew. It makes you think. 
Well, it, it just, it struck me as being very similar to the uh, Senator Feveranti Wells. Feveranti is right. Ah, um, Feveranti. Ah, Ranty, Fe- Feveranti. Feveranti. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Feveranti, that um, works. Yeah, like it struck me as being very similar to that in the sense of it is someone with a platform, someone with a legitimized voice who is just using it to just project the most thinking out loud, airheaded shit about concepts that they have just never really considered before. But but I heard about it. I heard about it in the Australian government saying it. Like there was in that, in that red Australian government room, there were people in, from the Australian government saying that thing. So it's probably got something to it. Well, and and this is the thing: they're giving some sort of legitimization to it, while yeah. at the same, like in the same breaths, saying, "Look, I don't really know any of this stuff. I'm just thinking, hey, theoretically." That could be a thing that's happened. It was like Dutton the other week where he came out and bullshitted and made up his... There's 250 arsons who've been caught during bushfires. Like, fucking lie. But then he's like, then he's immediately calls, called on it. And, he's, and and I think it was Lee Sales. And she's like, no, they were mainly lightning strikes. And he's like, oh, I'm not saying that there haven't been more lightning strikes. Like, I mean, yes, yeah, specifically five seconds earlier, I was trying to claim that it wasn't, it wasn't lightning strikes. Yeah. It was arsons. But I didn't, I didn't specifically say it wasn't lightning strikes. Just... <sighs> yeah, I think... Um... You know, I saw somebody somebody commenting on that journalist saying, like, it's almost like if you're a journalist, what you could have done when you thought, hey, I'm not sure I really understand how you're figuring out how many animals are out there or whatever. Um, it's like you could have done something like maybe contacted a statistician or, like, somebody who actually is involved in... Used your brain for five how, minutes. You could, you could have contacted the people that this estimate came from and said... How did you arrive at this figure? Why didn't you go out there and count the animals individually? Yeah. You could have had them explain to you their method, but instead you've chosen to leap straight forward to who profits from an imaginary number. Well, not only have they blown that case wide open, but I've actually blown the case wide open because I I know of a guy who I'm totally not just making up, who was just (laughs) in it for the money, just wanted to make money. And that's why he turned down. Lots of very well-paid jobs with the very well-resourced fossil fuel lobby who were keen to throw some some shade on climate change. And he realised that that's not where the money was. And that's why he went and worked with the Bureau of Meteorology, slowly pushed his way through the public yes. service. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For the, for, the big, for the big Bureau of Meteorology bucks. Yeah, this, this of is the thing that always gets me is just like, where, where do people like to imagine that this dark money is coming from for all these people. And surely that's why so much of the right wing has been like, so like so much of, of right wing conspiratorial weirdos are so focused on George Soros because he is the only like verifiable rich person they can find who is aligned with the interests of some people on the left. But that's at least one rich person. I mean, what rich people do the lefties have to point that in the, who are, who are in the uh, fossil fuel corner? Like, it's not like exactly. there are rich people who've got a, a clear, obvious economic interest in not doing anything to rein in their investments. Exactly. We can't, I, I can't think of any rich people who, who have that <laughs> clear commercial interest. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, dear. The other thing I was going to say about the Adani thing. So, you remember I said, like, one point, and then we sort of... <laughs> the, second oh, yes. thing, the second thing I was going to okay. say was that um, you would think that Labor would be able to take the advantage of this moment to be like... Take advantage of the Holden thing to be like, Reminding blue-collar workers, hey, guys and gals, because, you know, the average union member is, is a what, 45-year-old female nurse or something. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, uh, blue-collar workers, we're on your side. 
we didn't just dare the manufacturing industry to piss off overseas. We mm. fought for your jobs. Re- remember that? You know what you've just seen happen with Holt? Remember, remember that? They did that. They're going to do that to you even with your mining jobs because they'll automate them. These aren't jobs. They don't give a shit about your jobs. They're using you. You're being played for suckers to get a thing that they want built for other reasons because of their because of well I mean they're they're still interested in it whether you're working for it or not they can be fully automated yeah. and they're still getting money out of it that's what they're interested in they're not interested in your jobs and and the whole thing reminds you of that well that's the thing as long as long as as long as everybody's getting their donations from you know the the fossil fuel lobby it's yeah. all good and both parties are getting shitloads of them so you know what's anybody else doing for them. So essentially, Labor will not not take advantage of that moment, and they will not. They, they, I give up, Andrew. Look, they, of all of the time, you would think that this summer, when everything was burning down, would be the time for Labor to re, to actually pivot and go right. We're going to fight. This is an existential problem, and you know we're going to be fighting. Hell, they could. Uh, I had a chat with um, Greg Jericho about this a couple of weeks back, and and the point we came up with during that conversation was you could harness if you're the alp you could harness our xenophobia and our hatred of other countries and this whole line that the other countries are getting away with burning a lot more and why are we feeling bad about it cool harness that say you're going to be out there fighting those other countries to make it make them cut their emissions and that's part of your strategy come out there and and say yeah we'll be fighting for you against the other countries that are let's say let's say it's their fault and they're screwing up the climate and you're paying the price well we'll come out there and fight for you and on that in that way like this they could have done that, but they're never going to do it. I, I, I could not have been... I don't think I could be more perplexed by what the Labour Party's um, approach has been since replacing Bill Shorten as a leader. Um, obviously, there's been a lot, of, a lot of reflection and soul-searching in the wake of that because I think that... You know, the, after after the drubbing that they got at the election, that I think everybody kind of felt like they were due to just sort of roll in on the back of, well, you know, we've had the Liberals for a while and they're pretty shit and everybody's sick of them. And normally what happens is that eventually, you know, they'll people will just go, yeah, let's have a bit of a change again. And I think they just sort of expected that it was going to happen. <laughs> and, and immediately... Immediately, as soon as they lost the election, there were Labour people coming out and saying, oh, that's right, Bill Shorten's just like the most unpopular leader we've ever had. Um, they were all suddenly acknowledging, yes, we were polling in front on a, on a two-party preferred basis the whole time, but that Bill Shorten had never beaten anyone he was up against in terms of being a preferred Prime Minister. So, you know, they obviously said, look, we got to jettison that whole thing and we got to figure out what we're all about. And I think that they are currently mired in a what seems to me to be an extremely, extremely bleak bit of, you know, re, reorientation as a political party because, you know, it, it, just, it just seems like they've been stuck in this mode for... I'm going to say a large ch- chunk of my adult life now of, yeah. of being like, gee, the Liberal Party are getting more and more right wing and they're winning some votes for that. So what we could do is try and find another audience somewhere else in the country. We could try and find people who would actually like an alternative to that style of government and that style of policy. Or we could try to win their voters 
by doing their thing, but not as racist. And that seems to be the prevailing wisdom within the party at the moment. And it, it's just absolutely puzzling to me. Their whole thing seems to be like, um, you know, the, the, this, a classic, um, a classic tweet that is, uh, you know, someone saying uh, that left wingers like hire more female prison guards. You yeah. know, the, that whole the the one that summed that kind of thing up so neatly, and that to well, me. Is you what... saw it this week. You saw Fitzgibbon was tweeting. Uh, I think they'd proposed to have some kind of resources tax, or some kind of resources like putting a price. You know, extracting some money for the public out of the resources sector. And Fitzgibbon's tweeting from the ALP, like the ALP front is tweeting that the, that they were that the Liberals were, quote, threatening a big new tax on Australia's wealth-creating gas sector. I have been ranting about this on our own show, but um, I don't know if you've seen Christina Keneally's many attempts. Yeah, that idiotic plain people thing. Like, I know. She keeps trying to make this thing happen of... You know, referring referring to referring to asylum seekers who arrive by plane as opposed to boat as plain people. And, like, that... I cannot tell you how much that enrages me oh, as someone. We've, we've been ranting about it angrily. Like, I hear you. I high-fiving exactly. you through the sky. Exactly. And oh. just just as someone who, yeah, has, has seen, again, throughout my entire adult life, I have seen the, the this whole thing of, like, demonizing uh, this whole section of people solely by the mode of transport that they arrived in the country. Those people have ceased to be human to so much of the Australian populace because they arrived on a boat. And it's accepting accepting the the, the Tories' framing yes, that refugees yes. and immigrants are bad. And Labor can never win that argument. If you, tr- yes. if you accept the only way for Labor to win is to run the opposite argument, which is no... Immigration is a net plus to the country. Refugees are not a threat. Refugees are a basic... They're who we are as a people. We're a people who would... No, we're not. We're a nation of of narcs and and bad faith and punish the rule breakers, dickheads. But the way we look at ourselves, we think we are a nation of the fair go and caring about human rights. Cool. Sell that to us. We are a nation that when somebody needs help, we take them in. We look after them. And all of the claims that they're a burden and that they are a drain on the economy is not just wrong. It's an insult to all of the previous generation. Here, tied into the other people who are currently able to vote. It's an insult to the previous generations of refugees and immigrants. Every time you stand up and say immigration's bad, and currently it works against previous immigrant populations because they're like, oh, cool, I get to be on the side that's, that's pointing at the new immigrants this time. But no, bring them into your argument and say, no, no, every time these dickheads are like, those immigrants and those refugees are a threat to us and they're a negative, they're really saying that you were. They're saying that you and your parents were. They're saying that everybody who came here, you were also a threat to this country because immigration is bad. You're not. Look at what you gave to the country. I'm just, I'm just so, so stunned by the idea that again, the the position that Labor has arrived at is not what you're talking about. Of we need to show, you know, we we need at some point. Surely, surely, some people within the party are looking and saying, like. This this thing of continually ramping up the rhetoric against asylum seekers and refugees and everything cannot continue. There there is just there has to be some point at which somebody says, "Let's take the foot off the accelerator." Well, you'd hope try so. And but... figure, try and figure out a way, fra- re- way to reframe this, but obviously they've lost an election on the issue before, and they've mm. decided now we'll never let that be. 
you know, a reason that we lost an election again. We're going to lose elections for all the other reasons instead. Well, no, they're but, still um, losing it for that reason too, because they can. The only way you win the argument is to win the argument. You've got to run the argument, and they're not running the argument. They're turning around and being like, "Oh yeah, no, the liberals are right. We will just we we'll go. Yeah, you know, they're right. They're right. They've well, won the point. Like the yeah, liberals like, don't like do that. Say, like the liberals win elections. They don't. They don't do it by." Accepting at the end when they lost the previous election by going, well, Labor was right, we'll adopt Labor policies. They don't. They just double down on their perspective until they persuade people and then they win elections on it. Like- and as we have said on my own show many, many, many times, the thing that the thing that um, the Labor Party seems to think is going to magically happen at some point is that they're going to say, hey, we're just as tough on illegal immigrants as, as the Liberals are. And also, you know, we're committed to keeping these coal mines open and everything. And that a bunch of like rusted on liberal and national voters are going to say, oh, cool. That's the only reason I wasn't voting for you. It's not because I hate you. Like you're trying to win over an audience of people a lot of the time who will just never, ever vote for you. They weren't going to vote for you. There's probably nothing you can do to convince a lot of those people to vote for you. They think I there's think, some right-wing union people out there somewhere that they could win back from that. I, you know. I, I think they are, but if you're talking about, un, like, unfortunately, I don't think this is the way it should be, but if you are currently talking about the level of engagement that the average Australian person has with our political system, uh, the average level of engagement and trust hmm. and disenchantment and everything that the average person has, then the reality is that a lot of people look at you know what what they get through the front page of the daily telegraph or any of these sorts of things or they think of it as like well my parents voted for this person and they always said that was the deal and that's about as far as i want to go into it you know there are a lot of people out there who've picked a side like it's a sports team i think i don't think that's everybody uh, but i think that there are you know we are in a country with compulsory voting and there are people who are not thinking about it or talking about it at all and they're just mm-hmm. going to vote the way they're going to vote. But unlike America, where you've got that theory that they that they came out with recently that it's that, that people aren't switching at all. It's just a matter of whether or not their votes come out. Obviously, because we've got compulsory voting, yeah. there, the fact yeah, that yeah. there are different votes between elections do means that people are there are people who are changing. Uh, where where that may not be the case in America, because you just have this, the different people voting. But in our case, there must be some movement, and it feels like you can. The Liberals lost, have lost elections. They've lost well, elections, and when they I'm, lose them, they don't go, well, we'll adopt Labor policy. They just double down and argue their side harder, and it works for them. Like, But Labor always learn, doesn't learn that lesson. They don't learn the lesson that Liberal, the Liberals won the next election by arguing their case harder. Labor learns the election by... It learns a lesson that, well, the Liberals got there by taking on right-wing policy. So that's the thing we must do. Yes. Well, uh, I was going to say, like, in Australia over the last however many elections, there there definitely has been movement. But in a lot of cases, it has been people moving away from either of the major parties and saying, I am so disenchanted with both of these parties and what I see as their lack of interest in, you know, ordinary working Australians that they wind up voting for Bob Catter. Or Pauline Hanson. Which is convenient the- because that's two of the things that I needed to get that are on the range sheet that I was trying to get a segue to. So <laughs> let's let's do the Pauline Hanson voter, Paul from Nelligan, uh, who we all know from his previous rant uh, at, this, at the window of his fire truck telling 
Scummo to go and get fucked and daring him to come and have a chat with Paul. What wonderfully cathartic moment for everyone. It was. You know? And you've heard the audio that he was responding to, what Morrison had said about the volunteer firefighters. Yep. All right. So because Morrison is now claiming that what he'd said was misreported and that Nell- Paul was just angry about a misreported thing, not what Scummo had actually said. So rather than saying to listeners, hey, go and dig up episode 115, 15 minutes in, I've got the, that we, we had what Scummo said and then we had Paul responding to him. Instead, I will play it for you now. This is Scummo. The fact is that these crews, um, yes, they're tired, but they also want to be out there defending their communities. And in many cases, you've got to hold them back. And then this is Paul responding to Scummo. You from the media, tell the Prime Minister to go and get from Nelligan. We really enjoy doing this head. And yeah, like I'm sure you spoke about this on the show at the time, but a large part of what people were so outraged about with Morrison's comments were that like what he was describing might have been the case several years ago for people doing volunteer firefighting because what used to happen at some point in the past was there was a much shorter fire season and a fire would go for a day or two until you got it out and then you went back to your life. Um, It has not been like this fire season where these fires are like impossible to control and put out and they burn for days and days and people are out there for like 12 hour shifts desperately calling in for relief and they're Mm. exhausted begging to for somebody to come out and give them some relief and let them go and rest or anything like that but of course as opposed to like kicking them off centrelink or kicking them or punishing them for being out there and doing it yeah yeah but uh but yeah so obviously when that's the experience that you're currently going through and you see the prime minister saying ah they love it they love it don't worry about them it's Mm. it's like a nice hobby for them to be out there um just trying to not die the whole time. I'm not even sure that they loved doing it in the first place. It was more a, it is a necessary task to be done. And for some unfathomable reason, we're not going to, you can pay taxes, you can fund, you know, we can have a, a a government, but it's not going to actually fund firefighters doing a job. Like, you know, you know, Andrew, I I think that it's, the the, country is very big. And it's really hard for us as taxpayers to fund a police service around the country. So maybe we should have some volunteer police officers oh, yeah. in rural areas. <laughs> like, it's just bonkers. How is it that we have... Maybe we can have some volunteer ambos. That'd be fine. You know what's, you know what's terrifying um, is how many people would be like, I would love to be a volunteer cop. Yeah, they'd be the same people that shouldn't be. In fact, I think you find that... Do, that- I, do I get the gun? Do I bring my own gun? Do I-, <laughs> I told you, you get your gun when you tell me your damn name. <laughs> Oh. I remember the Simpsons quote. Anyway, so Scummo coming back now and being like, oh, no, I was misquoted. Not dickhead. You were quoted exactly. The whole message was... Because yep. it came to mind, the context was, should we be doing something more to support the firefighters? And he's like going, nah, they love it. Like, that, that quote is what people took it for. It's yep. not... You don't get to come... But, you know, apparently Scummo does get to just blandly claim, I didn't say that. And he would, if you pulled him on it, he'd be like... Uh, no, no, you, you've you've paraphrased it slightly. I mean, the message is clearly the same, but like th- that word, I didn't use that contraction, or it, it's just well, no, nobody's ever going to call him on it, are they? They're never going to call him on it. That's just fine. He just gets a lie and claim that he didn't say that, and he clearly did. No, I think that's why he's he seems to be very very enamoured lately with, I mean, the 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 things that I'm seeing a lot in uh, 
government responses to the media, which used to be things that were very rarely deployed and would make everybody raise their eyebrows, you know, in shock and disgust, um, but are getting deployed more and more frequently now. Uh, um, some of our favorites. I what, what's what's the um, I reject the. <laughs> The premise of the question. I reject, I reject, the, reject premise the premise of the, of the question. question. So when somebody says, hey, um, you know all this blatant corruption that you've been doing and have been caught red-handed in, and they say, well, I simply reject the premise of your question that there was Holy any corruption shit. in the first place. This this basically just they've gone and found the old episode of Yes Minister. I think it was Yes yeah. Minister, not Yes Minister, where, where like Hacker gives Woolly a list of how to avoid answering questions, and it's childish shit like... Um, you know, literally attack the premise of the question or um, attack the questioner. How many years have you spent in government? Or like, they, they literally like, there's eight of eight things in that list. And I'm willing to, now I think about it, if you pull that up, it'll be curious to see like whether Scummo is not just going through it, but going through it in chronological order. Like, is it- oh, like, yeah. It's, so it's got all the way now to to this sort of stuff of saying, well, actually, I, I refuse to answer your question in, in the way that you framed it. Anything like that, you know, and it's okay. I frame it. Take it. Frame it however you like. But can you just answer the actual question? Yeah, it's like no. I will answer a different question of my own formulation. <laughs> yeah, which is also one of the ones that that uh, hacker suggests Wooly can use. Pay no attention to the question. Just make your own statement. And then, if they ask the question again, what you say is that's not the question. Or I think the real question is. And then you make another statement of your own. The way that came out that Paul was a Pauline Hanson supporter. Well, okay, there was the he would have got away with it if he hadn't just simply said it to Channel Nine on camera. But <laughs> it was it was sort of more raised in the public consciousness by Chris Bloody Ullman going and, and tweeting it out. Uh, here he is. Oh, you guess who he likes as a politician, and he likes Pauline. Which, which of course, we can all appreciate the irony there of Chris Ullman, who spends all of his time lamenting political culture wars then immediately trying to have a guy cancelled for you know voting for the wrong person oh and then and then writing a whole piece complaining or sorry trying to say that oh the real problem with australian politics is the twitter people who immediately changed their minds and and launched into him like i found one i found a guy yeah yeah like if you looked at the replies to his post on twitter it was just lots and lots of people saying oh so you mean the like left-wing voters and right-wing voters are all uh, in agreement that scott morrison is a stupid dickhead he can go and get like that <laughs> yeah that was that was it everybody was like oh good so other people are turning on him as well so so what you're saying is it's not the fact that we're lefties it's that he's a terrible person well chris you've sure owned us We've been definitely, as as the kids would say, well, as Chris would think the kids would say. I don't know. Kids probably don't say well, it anymore. I would also note that um, the other distinction there is when he says, oh, a bunch of left-wing Twitter lefties immediately abandoned this guy. And if you look through the replies, uh, anybody who identifies as, you know, actually leftist or left-wing is saying, uh, actually, it's a free country and you're allowed to vote for who you want. It doesn't change what he said about this thing yeah, or we the don't fact care. That he's right he's he's allowed to say what he wants and he's allowed to vote how he wants and hopefully we'll win this guy back as a voter by showing him who actually cares about you know australian workers meanwhile the only people i saw saying oh a one nation voter yuck you've lost me are all of like the the you know water drop emoji labor voters you know who yeah. i think anybody would generously describe as like centrist if not center right anyway 
So, like, the the only people who immediately abandoned him were people who are not, like, professed leftists anyway. It's it's the... You've heard... I hear, you hear the right-wing thing all the time where they, they think they've got you by... By the idea that you can't possibly distinguish between aspects of a person. So in that case, you're like, you like him saying get fucked, but you don't like him voting for Pauline. How are you going to process that? By recognizing he's a human being and like he can be right on one thing and wrong on others. Like, yeah, it's not that yeah, hard. Like- and, and they do that about, they, they're like, well, do you like the Muslims or do you like the gays? Because they hate each other. You're like, no, like it's not hard. If yeah. a conservative Muslim person's bashing the gays, I'm on gay people's the person who's being attacked side, but if it's a racist gay person attacking Muslims, I'm on the person being persecuted side. Like, it's not that hard because they're different issues at different times. It's like- yeah, yeah. Just just generally the whole thing of, like, uh, we don't believe that anybody is actually able to, like, walk and chew gum at the same time, you know? <laughs> the idea that... The, especially that... Yeah, there aren't, like, two discrete concepts that can exist in the world at once. <laughs> if you don't want us to persecute Muslims, you must want compulsory conservative Sharia law imposed on the whole country. Yes. yes. Like, okay. And I do, but not for those reasons. <laughs> I want to... Those are the yeah, only like two a... alternatives. Either you want right-wing Sharia law or you want right-wing xenophobia against Muslims. Those are the yes. two possibilities. There's nothing else. Yep, yep. Um, well, and, and again, like, if you're... Like, uh, the the issues, again, come down to more central ideas, which is like you're saying, you know, if, if you're talking about um, a Muslim person who is discriminating against a gay person, then the issue at the core of that for me is... Uh, Homophobia? You know, but, but yeah, yeah. But like, p- people, people being free to live their lives without being discriminated against for their sexuality. And if you're talking about a right-wing person saying, we should ban all Muslims from coming into this country, then the issue is, we, we want to live in a secular country with freedom of religion. Wait, you mean that your people- approach is actually consistent between both, and it makes yes. sense? <laughs> yeah, and, and they are both about bigotry being expressed to a group based on their religion or their, their gender identity or anything else. Mm. Mm. See, I can be against a group persecuting another group, even if in other contexts, the group that's currently doing the oppressing is persecuted in, in those other contexts. I'm just against the oppression the, in, in, in whichever case, whoever's doing it, regardless of what group they're part of. There's one other issue um, to keep in mind there, which is when you occasionally have to consider that like none of these groups are a monolith and there are different people within them who feel differently about things. No, Chris Ullman not- found a single lefty who was cross about Paul from Nelligan yep, being then that's, that's, that's it. A- Every lefty has written him off forever. And that's why politics in this country is fucked, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like he's cracked the case wide open again. An- another, um, yet another article about, about having your voice silenced by a a senior political journalist, you know. Hang on, love, uh, who who has had the most impact on Australian politics? Chris Ullman or that one Twitter account he found that's probably a bot? Yeah, or someone who said, "Oh, I don't want to be friends with Paul from Nelligan anymore." <laughs> like, I mean, which, that guy has really fucked us all. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And talking of people who reject the premise of a question. Uh, did you hear this deranged rant from Bob Catter this week? What, what proposed? No, I'm not interested. Don't lead me into your rubbish, right? Don't you keep taking us on, on flights of fancy. Your, your, your city, your city, 
Lily had left him that mindset, right? So I'm not going to answer your questions because they insult us as a race of people. Well, well it's also saying you said you're opposed to the voice of Parliament. I, so, it, so if that if that proposal came to Parliament to vote on it... I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you because we've listened to the likes of you I'm and that's because... We, I'm no, I'm no, not uh, you asking are asking a most pejorative question it's not a pejorative and it is question. absolutely represents the problems that we've got. I'm not answering it. Don't open your mouth again because I get very angry and I'm angry enough now. Bob Catter, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I love to see a man just sundowning <laughs> as he's getting paid a lot of money uh, to represent some voters by going out and just uh, losing his mind at any given opportunity at anybody who is asking him anything. It's very good. Um, it's pretty rare, I think, that you get to see in a, in a politician, Australian or otherwise, um, the real unvarnished hatred that he has for pretty much anybody who does not perfectly dovetail with his own beliefs and thoughts, whatever they may be, because he's very bad at communicating. And because there's no consequence to him. He's, he gets away with it like Barnaby. They're like, well, he's a real character. He says it's how he feels. And so we end up with a parliament full of lunatics like Feveranti and Branby and Catter and Pauline. Like there's no consequence to these people with their, when they come up with these derangement. Like that. That should have made anyone who had ever voted for Catter be like, oh, I, uh, I uh, may have... <laughs> what did I do? Well, um, while I was looking for that rant on Twitter, I found it being reposted by uh, right-wing provocateur um, Avi Yemeni. Uh, and he said, Bob Catter versus mainstream media. Catter clearly won this round. <laughs> So, it is par- I, they're parallel universes. We do not ex- inhabit the same country. No, no. Um, anybody who can listen to that and be like, yeah, man, he's really getting his point across, whatever it is. Which is that lefties are filthy and we're not going to deal with them. We're not giving you the time of day anymore, you filthy fucking lefties. That's his point. And I, I think we can all agree that it's time that we stood up to lefties and refused to answer questions or uh, tell, de- tell journalists how we were planning on voting on legislation when that actually mattered to Australians or not. No! Fuck them. They don't deserve to know. Surprise them. They hate us. And we hate them. Yes. Yes. And everything's working perfectly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, we were talking of things that work perfectly. Did you see Betz's attempt at a, at a, at a gotcha just to confirm that he was trying to defend Bridget McKenzie, a, a, another... Uh, far right rural crank um, when in relation to the sports rorts and and Erica Betts in Senate estimates genuinely thought he was like he was selfie when he's asking them now definitely the case that uh, these were all eligible because remember that the, the whole defense that the Libs ran for this massive rorting was but all of the projects were technically eligible yes except for the part <laughs> where they weren't other than that it's watertight well I don't think Eric got the memo yet that they weren't eligible because he, he made, he's gone to great pains in this next little clip to make sure that we know he, th- he thinks he's closing the gate. Oh, yes. But not quite the way he meant to. Yes, yes, it's very good. Next issue I seek to clarify, you did find that no ineligible project or yes. application was funded. No, Senator, that's not what we found. <laughs> I kind of think we should probably play the... Mwah, 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 mwah. Oh, actually, sorry, the one that is most appropriate. Hang on, let me just play the last thing that Ebet says and then the appropriate bit of music right after it. 
you did find that no ineligible project or application was funded? No, Senator, that's not what we found. There, I, I, feel, I feel like that really puts it in context. Yes, uh, you, really, you really have to watch the clip of that to see his face uh, when the reply is, actually, that's not what we found at all. And he goes, oh, as though he's like forgotten to look at the other side of the piece of paper he's holding that says, no, don't ask. Don't ask about this. Please don't. What's the the old Blackadder where where um, George is being the uh, Blackadder's lawyer and he's like and that's why you must find my client guilty yes and then Blackadder's point is like other side of nothing more than being <laughs> yes. brilliant work brilliant work and and I feel like we've had enough of Erica Betts at Senate estimates that it's just nice to see the one, the ones where he's just like clutching his his necktie. <laughs> well, at least um, at least normally he's just kind of. Uh, preventing any reasonable debate from happening by asking a whole bunch of, you know, very, very bad faith uh, questions and all that kind of stuff. And in this particular case, he was actually helpful for once. <laughs> well, he really, he really thought he was being, he thought he was being helpful. He thought this is the slam dunk. Like, he, the way he delivers it is it's just the confidence of being like, ah, but, you know, this really settles it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's great when people are like, <laughs> got him. I finally got him. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> the, the weird thing is that's actually not the worst defence the libs had to their shit this week. Because you, did you see the other one that with Robodet? They actually they've argued in court. This isn't just like a fly by night idiotic idea that sort of popped into Eric Betts's head. This is something that they have presumably workshopped and filed. And their argument as to why it didn't matter that they were just wildly claiming debts that were bullshit. As the government against vulnerable people, their argument is, but we don't have a responsibility under the legislation to exercise due or reasonable care. That's pretty it. remarkable. That's a it's a pretty remarkable position for a government to take, which is actually we are not obliged. We are not like legally obliged in any way to give a shit about you. It doesn't say it in the legislation we have to have. And that is a direct quote, that they don't have to exercise, quote, due or reasonable care. That I'm not paraphrasing. They don't think they have to exercise even, not, a, not just whatever due care is, but they don't even think they have to exercise reasonable care. Like, even... They're not even arguing that what we did is reasonable in the circumstances. They're just like, ah, we can just do whatever yep, the fuck we it's, like. It's uh... a... It's like, yeah, maybe they were unlawful, but didn't say anywhere we couldn't do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really... If, if you go and read the details of a lot of, like, the cases that are making up that class action... Oh, God, they're horrifying. It's all, yeah, people who... Oh, here's, here's, here's what I really liked. Um, so, if you look at the different cases that people submitted, they were that, like, the government contacted them and said, hey, by the way, you owe us, like, $5,000 and you got to pay that uh, looking at their watch now. <laughs> And people have said, oh, oh no, um, haven't been able to pay it immediately. So they've said, okay, cool. Here's like a bunch of late fees and stuff on top. And we're going to turn it over to a debt collector and all that kind of thing. So the additional arguments that they have put in favor of this on top of, we don't actually have a legally mandated duty of care to our own citizens, um, was also, the second one was, um, Actually, 
contacting people to say that they owed thousands and thousands of dollars to the government and that their debt was being turned over to a debt collector who will then harass you every day about the money did not cause anyone any duress. No, poor people are fine with that. <laughs> the threat, I don't to, know about the you. threat to destroy them completely. Yeah, no, people can take that on board. I don't, I don't know if you have had any personal experience with being pursued by debt collectors, but let me just say um, it just immeasurably improved my life and my state of mind every day. I loved it. I loved constantly being phoned by people to be told how much money I owed to some company that a debt had been sold to. You know, it's great stuff. I also like um, that what they that they they also started automatically taking the money from people from their tax return. Oh, like, like money yep, they either, either taking people's entire tax return um, or garnishing people's wages. That's mm. not a stressful thing to happen at all. That's totally fine. And the third um, justification that they gave here was pointing to some of those same people in the cases and saying, well, they started to pay the debts. So that kind of proves <laughs> that they didn't have a problem with it. So, so hang on. They, our, our case is that it wasn't stressful and we didn't harass them at all. And that's why they paid a debt that we now concede they didn't owe. Because that's the thing that people do when you don't harass them. If you just like leave it up to people, do you want to pay this debt that you don't owe or not? It's up to you. People tend to want to pay the debt that they don't owe. Like you don't have to, oh, apply, yeah. you don't have to like squeeze it, twist their arm at all. It's fine. Like people love it. Uh, a lot of the time, if you just give people an opportunity to pay any debt, <laughs> um, one that they did not run up themselves, a lot of people just jump at it because it feels good. And you can tell yeah. how fine they were with it by the fact that they're the litigants in this action. That's a classic, yeah. classic behavior of somebody who's totally fine with it. Yes, someone who is very much at peace with the whole thing. Um, yeah, no, like it's 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 very it's very disheartening. I think to see how transparent it is. Again, only really at the end of the process. Not let me let me clarify that. Um, I think it's been clear to the vast majority of people the whole time. The, the robo-debt thing, the vast majority of, you know, working people or people who have ever been on any form of welfare, that the the intent of this thing the entire time has been to try to balance the national budget on the backs of the most vulnerable people. Oh, what, more than that, just, it's been by being to punish people for ever using social security. If you've yep. ever used social security, you're a bludger and we hate you. We, we Our entire reason for becoming right-wing politicians in the first place is that we hate paying tax. We got a, we went to our first job, we got a, a, we got tax taken out, and we were like, where'd that go? And then we saw a newspaper article that pointed out that some of it went to poor people, and we really resented that. What have the poor people ever done for us? That's why we became liberal politicians in the first place. We hate the poor. And secondly... We wanted to make sure that none of you other people were ever considering using Social Security yourselves. Yes, yes. As long as we can start to show people, um, you know, it's actually extremely hard and we've put up all these barriers and we'll make you feel like shit for doing it. And even when you're off and it, we will chase you 10 years later for something you can't even remember. Well, one of the, one of the cases, I believe it was the woman who had her case go to the um, high court. Uh, and that was the one that made them stop issuing robo-debts because... Um, so, so this is kind of what I, what I mean when I say at the playing out of all of this, it, it becomes completely transparent. Like, I know that anybody who was receiving any of these debts knew that this was the case, but for the rest of the public to be able to see, when it got to the point of this thing going to the high court, they immediately yeah. dropped, the, <laughs> dropped, dropped their case and compensated the woman... 
so that they didn't have to go to court to say, actually, we knew the whole time that there was no lawful basis for for generating these claims against people. Hey, pushing it right to the last minute until an authority higher than you is about to rule on it. That, and, and then, then withdrawing. Uh, all right, we're out. That is totally I've, the actions of somebody who's been above board the whole time and everything's fine. Yep, yep, yep. Someone who totally knows. And and in this woman's case, um, what happened with her was that she was issued with a... She, she was sent some notices and then issued with a debt. And then they garnished her entire tax return of however many thousands of dollars. Um, and... So, so what she wound up saying was like, yeah, I was on welfare at some point, however many years ago. And so part of the whole of their many, quote unquote, mutual obligations for receiving welfare are that you have to keep all of your contact details and your address and all that sort of stuff updated so they know where they can chase you at all times and ring you and demand that you go to some bullshit job interview for a thing that, you, you know, you're never going to get. But, um, That's what, because it's not the point. The point is to punish you for receiving social security. Ex- exactly, exactly. The, the point is to f- force you into all of these obligations so that even though it's complete make-work bullshit and the only people who profit off them are these job service companies, um, the point is to make you do essentially a whole bunch of stressful labor in order to just say, well, now you've, you've done enough to eventually qualify the, for the pittance that we will give you and then be very, very mad about having given you. Yeah, that's right. Don't, so, don't think but, that just because we made you go through this that we think... We still we still think you're sitting back on the couch rolling a fat blunt. and yep, smoking and, bongs. Yeah, we, we still think you're a lazy bum even though you just jumped through all these fucking hoops that we put in front of you. We will never be satisfied. So, so in this woman's case, she had kept up with all of her mutual obligations to uh, Centrelink while she was on benefits. Then she got back into full-time employment. And once you are back in full-time employment and no longer receiving benefits, your obligations to them to keep them updated with your movements and your contact information and everything like that end. Mm, with that. And so some, some years after this point, they've started sending her the robo-debts and stuff to an address that she no longer lived at several years earlier because she no longer has the obligation to them to keep those details updated. They've sent several notices. They've said, oh, we're also attaching, um, you know, additional late fees and stuff to it. And now we're going to take your whole tax return. Meanwhile, she had never been informed about any of this. Up until the point of... If, if anybody has ever received Centrelink, they must, be, they must basically have it... Like they should probably wear some have a tattoo or something, but they should basically they be required to tell Centrelink where they are for the rest of their lives as penance for having ever accepted public help in any way, as if they lived in a country with like a social a safety net. They, yeah. yeah. The, the solution is obviously it's it's that you know the law doesn't appropriately demand that she always tell Centrelink where she is for the rest of her life. Yeah. <laughs> just it's just evil. Just shit. truly. Yeah, truly terrible stuff. Um, just and and again, the fact that the fact that Labor is not able to formulate a coherent opposition to this, like they're they're willing to say, "Hey, this program was unlawful," but what they're not willing to say is, "A, we won't do this." B, we will give an increase to New Start that basically every welfare and economic body in the country 
mm. says is a thing that should be done. Both, both in terms of like, you know, decreasing homelessness, in terms of making it so that like people who are trying to find jobs actually have enough money to live off while they're doing that. So that... Um, they're ashamed and, and of it. Even, they're ashamed but, of us having a... So- Instead of being... The social safety net is something that we are proud of, that we put in place, that we are that we are we're the party that defends public health, public education, the social safety net. We we believe that Australia is a decent country that can look after refugees, that, that doesn't need to demonise immigrants, that, that immigrants who are here, you help build the country, that sort of thing. Instead of having the courage they don't have the courage of their convictions. So all they do is they're like, What does some dickhead who believes what a current affair says think about something? Well, we better repeat that back to them, like that's gonna persuade them to like us more than the people who do that more. And they, they, the only way to win that argument is to argue it, to persuade people of the other side. And they just... I don't understand why you go into politics if you're afraid of arguing a political point. Well, again, like, they're, they're not willing to, you know, to circle back around to the, to the Adani stuff, to the transition away from coal, all this sort of thing. There is such an abundance of information that you can use to make the case for for a change there Mm. and in this case i mean you can look at like um with new start i'm pretty sure that that you know a bunch of different like logistics and and economics companies and stuff like people like price waterhouse cooper and shit were coming out and saying you Mm. need to raise that because the the economy is at a point where you need to start making sure that people out there like have some form of disposable income that they can spend in some of the businesses that you claim to love so much. It's weird. It's like the tax cut that they gave went into people's mortgages and shit and it did not in any way go into the retail sector, whereas 100% of what you give to people on Newstart will go into... It'll be spent in the shops. Like if you wanted to spend that money in a way that went in through the economy... Like even just if you don't give a shit about human beings, it made more sense to do that. But but no. But they hate Instead, them. It's because they hate the poor more than anything. That's why they became yeah, Tory politicians. And again, if you're if you're the Labour Party, what you are incredibly afraid of is being described as, you know, being soft on crime, being soft on refugees, um, being soft on doll bludgers, hmm. of of being a tax and spend lefty. Of being someone who just wants to get in there and spend all this money, and you know, again, there is there is so much evidence that you can point to and say, you know, every every economic body in the country who is not like the IPA is just saying desperately, you need to start stimulating this economy somehow, and there are a bunch of ways to do that, but. You know, there's there's just no inclination to make that argument because, as you said, they have completely accepted right wing framing mm. of just about every issue. And you can't they've win completely once you've done that. Yeah, they've they've completely accepted that the only way in which they're willing to debate this stuff is in the framework that the right wing has presented, and they're not going to win those arguments. And I think they're just going to keep losing until that point. And you know. Even even further than that, I will say that just on a personal level, I think when I was um, when I was a lot younger, I voted for Labor. Um, I think, uh, yeah, and and just generally speaking, for me, I cannot bring myself in good faith to vote for a political party that will not commit to serious action on climate change, 
that will not commit to reframing the debate around asylum seekers mm. and, and refugee rights. Um, I cannot bring myself to vote for a party that isn't committed to increasing New Start, and they won't do any of these things. They want to have it both ways. They want to say we're the party that's going to, you know, look after the forgotten and the voiceless. They want to say we're the party that's going to you know, be nicer to refugees. We're not going to stop doing the whole offshore processing thing. We're not going to stop the whole... To be fair, they're willing to say that they will do those things. They just aren't willing to... When you say we want to be the party that says that that says that we'll be, you know, look after the voiceless, they're happy to be the party that says that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They want to have it both ways by telling people that these are the values they represent while never Mm. translating it into any sort of actual sellable policy. And... And I don't know who they think are the rubes who are looking at them saying, hey, we're going to have zero emissions by 2050 in a policy that is endorsed by BP and Shell and Rio Tinto and shit. And we've come to the end of this and we haven't really gone hard enough on what the bullshit of the 2050 is so far. They they might as well say we've got a zero emissions target by 2100. Like 50 is 29 years away. It's bullshit. It's completely irrelevant. We're all screwed by that point. And yep. they, they, not, that's not a policy to go out there and argue for global emissions to be cut harder. It's not, a, not even a policy for Australia to stop being the bad faith actor that it is and goes out and sabotages climate action. Like, we, we punch well above our weight in terms of fucking over those agreements. We're in the back rooms negotiating on behalf of the fossil fuel lobby here. Yeah, no, we... we, we we are we do a fair bit with our with our um you know small small footprint in the world we we you know we have a big impact on fucking over the planet sorry fucking over human habitability of the planet obviously the planet will be fine um yeah you're right like we haven't and and part of the other part of that is the window you know the overton window thing obviously you know the 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 framing of where where we're arguing about so you've got the libs being like oh even 2050 is too much and now we've got that the other side is 2050 both of those are so far off to the edge of where we need to be they're not even the actual debate isn't even included in where now if the media who are doing the two party thing are framing it that these are the two positions that are the serious positions. No, neither of those is a serious position. They're both insane. And it brings us back to the fundamental problem with Australian Labor as a political party and a political force at this point in time. And the reason that I cannot bring myself to support them is that. They just they they want to do this thing of trying to please everybody and trying to appeal to everybody and winding up pleasing nobody. And and most fundamentally, you, you, you can't thing trust of, them like, to do like yeah. you don't know if, if I vote for the Greens, I know what they're going to what policy I can tell pretty accurately on any particular policy that goes before them how they'll vote. Labor, the the whole idea of a broad church party you don't that tries to cover all positions, you've got no idea how they'll vote on an issue. Because yep. there's people who believe opposites in, within the same party. Who the f- how do you vote for a party where you don't know what they're going to do in parliament? Well, just I mean solely the fact I'm sure I'm sure that I'm completely like showing my ass on the internal functions of um, of the Greens, but yeah, just like you're saying, just in terms of being like ideologically consistent around specific issues. Like you, you look at the Labor Party, and like you're saying, they have. There is like entire separate wings within the party of the labor right and labor left and the moderates and everything. And on a particular issue like like um, coal, you will wind up with Joel Fitzgibbon out there 
making an absolute fool of himself week after week writing op-eds about how great coal is and we're going to be exporting it for decades and decades, while Anthony Albanese tries to also go around and say, hey, we're going to have like zero emissions and we're going to we're the party that believes climate change is real, while never acknowledging his own shadow resources minister who is out there saying, oh, don't worry, we will stop mining coal over my dead body. Yeah. And... And like, who are they persuading? Uh, who do they like think said, is buying they're, that? They're completely in, incompatible positions. But also, as you said, it just it leaves you in this position of like, well, if my if I give my vote and my trust to you as a political party, how do I know on any given issue that it won't wind up being? Oh, well, actually, that guy's a power broker for the right wing of the party, so they kind of have to not piss him off about that. So he's allowed to just run wild on that particular issue in order to not mess with, you know, the fragile hold on power that the leader has. And I think, you know, one consistent theme of Australian politics over the last 10 years is like, it's it's just about the parties. Hmm. It's about the parties and the party room and the internal machinations and the, and the fights between different people and the power grabs. And like, nothing anymore is about here is where we want to take this country. Well, not from those Here, two parties. Not from the not from no, the broad no, no, ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like as far as as far as the two major parties who who have been in power for decades go, it is just looking at both of them. It is impossible to discern a picture of this is where this political party wants to take this country. Like the and it's it's kind of different with um with the conservatives because. With Labour, it's this very mixed-up muddle of, hey, we know that this is stuff that progressive people want to hear, hmm. but also here's all these other people, all these other like power brokers and lobbyists and everything that we're trying to keep happy. So they're always trying to straddle both sides of that fence and falling off constantly. Whereas for the Liberals, they're much more consistent in their ideology, which is, you know, cutting cutting funding to things cutting taxes for rich people and then generally saying, you know, just sort of shrugging and going, well, I don't really know what there is to government beyond that. Oh, they, they have some variance on social policy, like should we, you know, should we be, uh, should LGBTI people be uh, more easily discriminated against? And on the other hand, I oh, know some of us are gay and we, we'd like to have some equality. But but more most should importantly, we, the should we be uh, should we be shooting trans people out of a cannon or trebucheting them into the ocean? It's hard to say. We can't come to an agreement within the party on which one. And the social wets within that party are still like, eh, look, if it helps us get our tax cuts, we'll go along with you because that's all we really well, care uh, about. Yeah, yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, to me, the the coalition um, really represents, you know conservatism as a as a core concept which is we we just want to keep things as they are hmm. there is no vision of the future there is no idea of this is where we want this country to be in five years or 10 years or 50 years time there is just the here and the now and winning the ideological battle of the moment i feel like they've always they lunge to the right themselves so they're kind of covering a small space now whereas labor is like Part of it's gone that way, and part of it's still trying to capture the Greens. And because Labor won't do the opposite thing of like 
adopting the green side like the way that Howard adopted the Hanson side. You know, the point where Cory Bernardi's party collapsed because they're like, well, the Libs have already taken all of our... They're already us. Like, we were now redundant. Like, Labor's not doing that, so that's why Labor's sort of stretched a bit further because they're trying to be, like, going after the Libs over there and the Greens over here, and those are much further apart. Yeah, and it's, it is just at a point of, like... As far as both of those parties are concerned, I am absolutely unable to discern what is what is the vision that you are trying to sell me for the future of this country. You're willing to make noise about things like, you know, the Labour Party is willing to make noise about, well, we should be, you know, we should be um, like superpowers of renewable energy, uh, but also we're not willing to actually commit to doing that in any way it's just a thing that sounds really nice so you know as far as i'm concerned i am i am just unable to to give my vote or my support to the labor party um i think you can sort of bundle on top of that as well the idea that if you are a uh van badham type um political commentator who likes to constantly make the point of well, you know, you can't make any change unless you're at the big dance and the way you get to the big dance is by getting votes and getting elected and the way you get elected is by telling people that you would like to shoot a brown person stepping off a boat with a gun. Um, so that's what we're going to do. That's going to be our policy. And as soon as we're in power... Mm, we'll suddenly change th- our minds. Like, then we'll start affecting all this change, just like they did the other time. Yeah, they to got be fair, elected. Andrew, that happens all the time. Like, you know, we've got lots of examples of them getting elected and then doing better shit than what they promised to do. There, do you remember um, there was that election <laughs> where they... Um, hmm. I, w- I wonder if... Like, it kind of feels like the, the party approaches are... The Libs are, our role is to be the advocate for the business lobby in the IPA to get their legislation through. They will then give us money and then we will sell to you how, you know, a bunch of, we'll sell to you, sell to the punters enough that, that, that we're, our, our perspective matches theirs. If the economic one is a bit too obviously not in their favour, then we'll chuck in some xenophobia or religious conservatism or something to, you know, get them on board. And if that fails, we'll buy them with some tax cuts. So, with our, our, but our primary aim is to do the bidding of the of big business. Labor's primary aim is to repeat back to us what they think that we wanted at the last election. Like, yeah. we, we will be your mirror, a slightly time-delayed mirror, and we will tell you what we think you want to hear and never try and persuade you of anything meaningful because, I mean, is that what you want to hear? I mean, if you would like us to tell you something meaningful, to repeat back to you something <laughs> meaningful, we'll do that. What would you like us to repeat back to you meaningfully? Is there something you'd like us to persuade you of? Because we'll, we'll happily tell you that thing that you tell us. Just just tell me what you want to hear. <laughs> I just want to be... Me. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Even the contradictory things that don't match the other things. Even... even the stuff where you disagree with each other. I agree with all of you simultaneously. Please like us. And Whitley's not working for them. Please like us. I don't get it. I don't know. So, what, Andrew, we in to- no way are coming to the end of this because it's been far too long, but no way have we resolved what, what can we do about it. That is, we have achieved, other than not voting for those parties, preferencing them as appropriate, but voting for parties that change things and... Uh, keeping on persuade, you know, making the point to hopefully persuade Labor voters to jump ship and vote for progressive policy to the point where Labor goes, oh, shit, we'd better do some of that. Maybe maybe we could try copy the Liberals not on policy but on approach to politics. Maybe we could do that. Su- super racism. That. Got it. <laughs> no, not on policy, <laughs> on the fact that they don't, that they double down on their own beliefs when they lose. 
Maybe we yes, could do well, that. Imagine, just imagine. And yeah, I think that um, I think that the reality is that that's why you know the the Greens have been a relatively stable force. You know, I know that they they sort of go up and down in terms of the the seats that they've got. But these days, are they sort of hovering at like ten percent of seats? They're always pushing a much more difficult case because a weirdly there are no actual sort of left maybe the guardian to an extent but the guardian is still trying to be fair and and you know not neutral between stupid points but neutral in the sense of uh not party political or anything but the greens are always gonna have a difficulty because the commercial media hate their guts and of course they will because they're the actual an actual lefty party so they're always finding that difficult and they're always pushing against the idea that well you've got to vote for the one of the two big parties because otherwise you've, you're wasting your vote Pay attention to the American TV shows you watch where that is a thing and ignore the fact that in Australia that is not a thing. Like, they're always, it's always hard for them to grow. And because, like, they can have, what, 10 to 15% of the vote and still be lucky to get, like, one out of 150 seats because of the shithouse mm. single member electorate system. Like, we should have multi member electorates where we actually get a representative parliament, but we don't. So, um, but you're right. I mean, they, they are, they're not going with I just love the, the thing where Labor people come back in and be like, the Greens have done something progressive and Labor's like, see, well, you're never going to win government. Like, you're going to be, you're just, you just alienated a whole lot of voters. You're like, Greens voters aren't the people who are reading bullshit in the Murdoch rags and going, oh, I guess I better, like, who is voting Greens who believes something in a Murdoch tabloid about the Greens anyway? Like, they're kind of immune yeah. to that, those attacks at this point. Yeah, yeah, but obviously the, the, tricky thing is how they go about expanding their base but if you look at how things have been going for labor i mean i i just i don't understand where they get the confidence to say oh well constantly changing what how we present ourselves as whatever we think someone would like to hear that week is working really well well it's like they'd have done anything yeah. where they complain about the the convoy and they're like the greens fucked us the alternative way of looking at that is you were trying to do two opposite things at different ends of the country and it didn't work. You were trying to tell coal miners, yeah, in Queensland, yeah, we, we're in, on board with Adani. While you were also trying to tell people in Melbourne because you wanted to win an advanced seat, you are like, no, no, we, we're, we, we're definitely going to stop Adani. Like, you were trying to have, and you know that there's, you know, telecommunications between the different ends of the country now. Like, yeah, you can't yeah. run. It's not like it's going to remain a secret. You know we can hear you down here as well, right? Just... Yeah, just uh, very, very disheartening stuff. And like you said, I mean, yeah, I, I think looking as well at what has happened to any, any like progressive voices who have been convinced to to run for Labour over the last so many years is also extremely depressing. Oh, you can change the like, change it from the inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the the whole The whole argument of like change it from the inside, you know, that's the thing you got to do. And then you look at what happened to Peter Garrett. You look at like... Um, Jake Kearney. Yep, yep. How her whole thing was like, I am a passionate and fearless advocate for the rights of refugees and asylum seekers. And then but, they said, hey, come and run for us. And everybody was like, uh, you know their whole deal, right? And they were like, no, no. That's what you got to do, change it from the inside. And as soon as she got in, it was, oh, by the way, you also have to vote party line every time and this is your deal now. Yeah. Which, like, Albo was supposedly left, but then they put their left candidates in seats where they're competing against the Greens, and so they they immediately get trained into hating the left. And, like, if you lived in, what, Newtown or whatever, uh, the stuff in Grandland where Albo's electorate is, he was, like, 
in order to try and retain his seat against the Greens. It wasn't he, he didn't campaign by on being more progressive. He just campaigned on attacking the left and how the left are stupid and don't like he became more and more right wing simply by virtue of the fact he was competing as actual left wing people. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what is the sweetest irony of all for me about when they when, you know, Albanese was going to be the leader and everybody said, Oh, DJ Albo, he's coming in, he mm. fights Tories. That's his thing. They even have like yeah, his whole motto, I fight Tories. And since he got in, apparently his his overwhelming ethos has been Hey, people are sick of all the fighting, so I'm just, I'm never going to publicly disagree with Scott Morrison, one of the most risible pieces of shit to hold the office in years and years. Sorry, it's already going the other way, where, Al, where Adam Bank came in and Albo was uh, attacking him for, for using, uh, for, because he was blaming uh, Scummo for his a- actions on climate change leading to more bushfires and people dying. He's like, oh, I don't think you get anywhere with that abusive language. He's, you know, it's important as as the Labour leader to come out there and defend Scott Morrison against the Greens. Yep, yep, very convincing stuff. Fighting Just Tories. Terrible. <sighs> anyway, all right, we've this has gone very long. <laughs> like, so in terms of, I guess where we can where we can go from here is that one of the most powerful ways that we can make a difference and and uh, finally change what we've been talking about is to have a lefty podcast. For example, Andrew, uh, your lefty podcast, Bunta Vista, which people can find on the podcast store of their choosing yes wherever podcasts are available unless it is not available there in which case uh let me know i'll put it on (laughs) you'll have um, words you'll talk to the manager (laughs) that's right i will ask to speak to the manager of uh, Podbean or whatever um but yes it's all over the place and I would very much pe- recommend that people listen to your most recent episode where you went into in through in quite a lot of detail about the horror of the New South Wales strip searching bullshit from the New South Wales police, which we haven't covered. And I don't feel I need to because you did it comprehensively and depressingly. Like, I feel like if people are wanting to oh, yeah. you know, get an appreciation for Bunta Vista as a political podcast, the bit of lighthearted aspect, it's enjoyable to listen to. Uh, that's obviously not the episode, episode to listen to because it's depressing as fuck. But oh, it was yes. good. It was. It, it's worth listening to in the sense of it gets worse as the episode goes on. More and more outrage. Well, it's just- there there are some things that uh, need to be talked about that unfortunately it's pretty hard to make jokes about. So that was one of them. But uh, but the rest of the time, you know, we also we also like to talk about slightly lighter things and uh, make jokes and chat about Bigfoot and that kind of stuff. Yes. So. We we recommend recommend listeners pop across. I think you would in, you would enjoy Bonavista Vista if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, or if you don't, if you hate this podcast, you might like Bonavista. Vista. Who can say? I mean, I, I feel like if you hate the podcast, I, I did you skip to this? Did I put a timestamp in where you just like literally skip to the bit of four people who hate the podcast, or did I not put that in and you just listen to this whole thing for because you hate yourself? And I I just say I just think do some self care. Self care is good. That's it. Mm. Such as listening to Buena Vista. <laughs> I, I, the I the doctor has prescribed it. <laughs> yes. um, thank you, otherwise, to everybody who's supported the podcast. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, thank you to our new subscriber, Joshua. Thank you for coming on board. Welcome on board. Thank you, Alex Lum, for the artwork. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.